Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking at Steve Borthwick's coaching lineup for the World Cup, a crazy finish to the regular season in the Premiership, and a couple of big away wins in the URC playoffs. Plus, we'll be chatting to Connacht Director of Rugby, Andy Friend. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How are you, lads? I ain't gonna lie. I am fucked, if I'm being honest. Bank holiday weekend. I worked too hard this weekend. I did a lot of miles in the range. Big shout out to Thanet Wanderers. Had a dinner there on Friday night. Saturday up to the mighty Andy Good suite that was absolutely rammed for the Quinns game. And then I had a four-hour drive down to Devon and the Minehead Barbarians. So I did their dinner on Saturday night. And then I had to drive home because we had something on on Sunday with the fam. So a lot of miles in the car. My eyeballs ran out my head. I had to have the window open all the way home. But it's work. It's graft. It's this end of the season when we're busy. But we're loving our ruggers, aren't we, Jim? Mm. <laughs> yes, we are. We are. It's been a lot. Of, it's felt like a long old season. We're, we're not quite there yet. And just to throw a spanner in the works, it's another bank holiday. I had no idea. There's another bank holiday. It was the King's Coronation Street, and it was a bank holiday again. Andrew. How good was it? I don't want to be horrible, uh, genuinely. And you know, I am a middle royalist, so I'm neither here nor there. We're friends with Mike and Zara. Met the Queen. Loved all that. I just thought that was a bit too stuffy and a bit too much, if I'm honest. Nah. What do you mean, It's no. the coronation, mate. It's the coronation it's 20, of King Charles. three, Andrew. Doesn't matter. It's the coronation of King Charles. He is our king all right. and Queen Camilla, and I thought it was brilliant. I'm all for a bit of pomp and stuff like that. It's a tradition. We're English, you're Scottish, we're British. The Union Jacks were flying everywhere. I thought it was amazing. Even the great Sir Richie McCaw has come over from New Zealand for it. <laughs> well, I did wonder where our invite was. There was a lot of people there, and I was wondering how they've got the invite. But genuinely, I just think with everything that's going on in the world at the minute, the cost of living crisis and all these things, I just thought it was a bit much. The argument will be, well, the amount of money that is brought in by the royal family and tourism and stuff like that, well, that's great because that money can then have been kept to push in different directions. And I am a traditionalist as well. I do like old-fashioned traditions. I have turkey at Christmas, for example. There's a tradition. (laughs) (laughs) That's how far it goes, really. But I am a traditionalist in some parts. I shake fellow humans hands even if they've got dirty hands because I feel it's a respect thing I just felt looking at that and watching the state 
sorry, watching the weight of the crown. Did I say the state? Watching the state, the weight of the crown going on his head and the whole, I don't even know what it was. I watched it years ago when the Queen... But you didn't, Jim. Instead- <laughs> no, you didn't. no, you didn't, Jim. <laughs> Watch it on YouTube. It, it happened 70 years ago. But it was on YouTube. I've oh, seen okay. it on YouTube. <laughs> okay. So I have. I mean, I was... Obviously, I was there in spirit as well, in in mind, whoever was going to reproduce this absolute hero of a bloke. But I've watched that back and I did, look, I liked it. I I thought back then it was good. I just think it's so out of touch of what we are as a country now and what we need. I don't think it's out of touch at all. Look at the crowds and there's protesters and stuff like that. Of course there were. You have your right to protest. Of course you do. But the majority of our country loved it. I'm a traditionalist. He's our king. And we can disagree, but it's exactly what I think we needed as a country. Well, what about the amount of money that was spent on it? As in all the, the glitz and the glamour, people out having barbecues, people on the street, all the people there, all the crowds. I am fully supportive of that, absolutely. But what about all the money that was spent with the state of everything else, the NHS, teachers not getting paid enough, policemen not getting paid enough, policewomen not getting paid enough, the fire service, all these things that are happening now, and you're watching that with all the diamonds, all the gold, all the money, all the security going on, I just think there needs to be a moment of where we are in time now, read the room. And I'll be go back to it. Matt, I like the royal family. I love it. I love the drama, especially with Harry. I'll be honest. I, I like that. I like the Netflix series of Harry and Meghan as well. Guilty pleasure. That is my point. Just read the I just thought it was a little bit much. Well, they did read the room. And the best thing they did was stick Princess Anne with a big hat and a big feather just in front of Harry so he couldn't see anything. I thought it was great. That's definitely planned, that, wasn't it? That was definitely planned. Over you come, son. You've you've slagged us off. You've said a load of shit, but sit behind that feather and see if you can see. How funny, though, how ruthless are they when the people that are doing the ceremony and stuff like that, the military faint, probably at their head, and they literally just get them out there as quickly as possible, <laughs> just drag them out. Just like, fucking get out of here. You're not wanted. Yeah. yeah, so that obviously meant that we had a bank holiday. Good, I know you've gone through your weekend. As we know, I've cut back a little bit because I'm up in Edinburgh. I can't be on the road too much. I've got a full-time job. But I did do a dinner on Friday, so a big shout-out to... Ross High, salt of the earth, Andrew. Your Range Rover might have not had the wing mirrors or the tyres left at the end. It was in a gritty part of Edinburgh on the outskirts in Trenent, but it was a brilliant dinner. And it brought me joy because it felt like going back to the roots of what rugby is, which is about community. So big shout out to Ross High. And we're on the, the final slope of rugby this season as we head into a World Cup. But it feels like it's been a long old year. You talk about community, you get a great feeling when you go to local rugby clubs, don't you, Jim? And this is genuinely honest. Thanet Wanderers and Minehead Barbarians. I walked into Minehead Barbarians and I thought I'd gone back in time. Never have I seen some of the best mullets that you've ever seen. The proper shaved in, long at the back. And I thought it was just for me, but no, that's how they live down in Devon. Maori tattoos, even though they've never... Matt and Maori, let alone been to New Zealand. <laughs> exactly. So, But you get good feeling, don't you? You go back to these local rugby clubs and you chat about the tackle law and the state of the game and all this stuff. But it's where you see people in their place of joy that means so much to them. Rugby's still an unbelievable game at the community level where people love going to their clubs, playing for their clubs, having beers together. It's part of their life and it's such an important factor that we need to keep alive and not let the RFU kill the game off by mismanagement and all that stuff. And we all started there, didn't we, Jim? I said this to people. They're like, oh, thank you so much for coming down. I'm like, well, we all started at a junior rugby club somewhere. Jim and I started at Barker Butts. You always remember that. And every player that's played for England has started at a local rugby club somewhere. 
and it means a lot to go back to them and speak and have a laugh and a few beers. And Jim mentioned we are sliding into the World Cup. Steve Borthwick has confirmed his England coaching staff for the tournament. What do you guys make of it? So Tom Harrison, the scrum coach, who actually, when I did the documentary on the academy a few years ago, he was involved in the academy. What a rise to greatness. Well, we don't know if it's greatness yet because we don't know if England will even make it out of the pool. But what a rise to the top he's had. And from what I'm hearing, they went all out to try and get Ian Peel at Saracens. He turned them down at the 11th hour. I thought that was a done deal, you know. Yeah, I did as well. And it seems like he potentially was the right fit. He's done the hard yards with the England age group coming through, then into Saracens, and he's done a brilliant job at Saracens. He's evolved and evolved, worked with a lot of the England team as well, whether or not it was back in the England Academy days or, of course, with the backbone of Saracens. He worked with England full-time as well, didn't he? Of course he did, yeah. Yeah, so they went all in to get him. And not, I'm not saying that Tom Harrison was dirty seconds, but he was definitely second, but what an opportunity for him. But taken out of Leicester again. Poor Deeks, though. Yeah. He's the last man standing. Hey, if that ain't loyalty. Matt Smith as well. And Matt Smith, yeah, no, but Deeks has been there. <laughs> Deeks has been there from the very start. If that's not loyalty, I don't know what is. Yeah. So they've got one coach standing and Smithy as well, who likes a moan. Maybe that's why he's not going. Listen, obviously, Steve Borthwick has taken a lot from Leicester because that's where he had a team. It's his very first team, effectively, that he built as a head coach. Because obviously he went in there under Jordan Murphy and then Jordan gets moved aside. Steve Borthwick gets the main job. His clever bit was obviously getting to Kevin Sinfield to come and coach with him, which he obviously has taken him to England as well. But he's then taken Wiggy. He's taken Alad Walters as well. And now he's gone back and, and taken Tom Harrison. So he's got his team together that he wanted. I'm telling you now, working for Borthwick is very difficult. He's like an Eddie Jones, but bigger. And that's who his protégé is. So he's only really got people that he's ever worked with. And I wonder whether that came into question for Ian Peel when he dug down and found out about what working for Borthwick would be like. And so that's why he preferred to stay at Saracens. There you go. That's our England coaching team. Not a massive amount of experience, but a team that's worked together previously. Alan Walters obviously had a great impact on South African rugby and Leicester. And you hope now that he can have a big impact on England because the first thing Steve Borthwick has said is his team ain't fit enough. So all the best over the next few months, boys. I get the feeling you're a little bit underwhelmed, Goody. I'm not underwhelmed. You can't judge them until you see some results, right? So I was really excited about Nick Evans going in, thinking fair play to Steve Borthwick. Nick Evans has gone in during the Six Nations. They are polar opposites of how they see the game. So I thought there'd be some sort of blend where you'd see some of Nick Evans' attacking traits be instilled in this England team. And we didn't see any of it, did we, during the Six Nations? We saw kick and chase and we got hosed by France, uh, we lost to Scotland. It was fairly dull. We beat Italy at home, and we just kicked the leather off it, and even to the point of Ben Earls putting grubber kicks through because that's what they were told to do. So we didn't really see the best of Nick Evans. I think England wanted to have Nick Evans again as part of the coaching team, but weren't willing to pay the whole shebang to get him out of his Quinns contract. So off the back of that, they've gone for Wiggy. Other coaches are involved as well, and Tony Roke's come in who... You know, I played with Rocky back in the day at Saracens. He's been on the seven circuit. He's mainly coaching around the contact area. A legendary sevens player, but 15s never really made it at all. But coaching-wise, he's only sort of done contact, collision, that sort of stuff. And he's been heavily involved in the sevens 
coach in USA and England, the contact area in sevens is so important to get those first bullets right. So maybe he will have a decent impact. But there's no standout name, is there? There's not a, a headline coach. Sometimes that's not a bad thing, is it? So we just have to see how we get on. It was a very disappointing Six Nations from an England perspective. And it can only get better. Well, you hope it can because, geez, if we don't get out of our group, then sack them all. What did you, what do you mean, Jim? I'm Scottish, mate. <laughs> Not bothered. Yeah. Let's take a look at the premiership now then. Well, it all looked like it was meandering to a conclusion and then all of a sudden it was a battle to see who could finish on the better points diff between Bath and Bristol, wasn't it? What's a points diff? Points diff. Come on, mate. <laughs> You're full young kids. Get with it. I have. I am down with it. That is very cap, Andy Rowe. Yeah, it was. It was a race to see who was going to be in the top eight. Obviously, the top four was already sewn up with the home semi-finals in place. And that's for me, took a bit of the romance out of the games at the weekend. You look at Saracens going down to Bath, 60-odd points put on them, hammered. You look at Leicester, yes, they had a red card and we can get onto that. Some absolute genius called that in terms of how Chris Anderson's career might end. I don't want to be horrible to that genius, but the guy's a fucking genius. But you look at Leicester, it's almost a dead rubber for them. I suppose it's a snapshot of where the Premiership's been this season. Nothing to play for, the relegation stuff that we've gone over, we've spoken about. Top eight, is the Champions Cup as important now as it was before with your squads being a lot smaller? I'm just throwing the questions out there. Maybe it's because I'm losing a bit of momentum with the Premiership. There's a number of reasons why. But the games at the weekend, like Leicester, were in third or fourth gear. Yeah. At most. I know they had a red card. Yeah. Saracens had 60 points put on them by Bath, who've been awful for the majority of the season. I understand your point. What I will say about the Prem, this year, and I don't know whether it's because we've got short memories, on the pitch, I think we've generally seen some of the best rugby we've ever seen in the Premiership in terms of excitement, attacking rugby, flair, all that stuff. I get your point and I completely agree. Some of the games, complete dead rubbers. You know, Leicester weren't juiced up at all to try and batter Quinns. Quinns obviously had nothing to play for, really. They were already qualified for Europe, couldn't get in the top four. But I think the Premiership has been brilliant so far this year. The best four teams have already qualified before the last round of fixtures. Saracens had every right. People are going, oh, Saracens, you know, sent the kids down. They had every right to do that. Send the kids down to Bath and then Bath took advantage. And fair play to Bath, right? They have come good over the last sort of six weeks, you know, we, we were sort of writing them off. They have been shocking. They've found it within themselves, obviously, a couple of decent signings earlier in the season. They've all bedded in now. Ollie Lawrence comes in a quarter of the way through the season. Unbelievable signing. Plays out of his skin relentlessly. He gets the try that takes Bath into the Heineken Champion Cup spots at the end of Manu Vanapola's shocking chip kick. But I just love the fact, the story of how he starts the season. We had him on the podcast, didn't we? Worcester goes to the wall. He then gets the try that puts Bath into the Champions Cup next year and knocks Bristol's out. Oh my God, don't even start that Bristol. Pat Lamb, how much money you spent to finish ninth? Yeah, should we go there or not? Obviously our comments were used in national broad paper, the Bristol Chronicle brought it up. But yeah, like you look at Bristol, there's a change of guard there now, isn't there? L- losing their two highest profile, highest paid players in Charles Piertown and Semi Randrandra. Watching Semi... Play. I didn't know whether I respected him even more because he played 40% fit or... Uh, it's 40% it's unbelievable still as well. Yeah, it? it is. It is, yeah. It is, to be honest with you. But it's a real shame for the Premiership to lose them players. And look, I, I don't want to be too down and negative on it because I'm all about the URC at the minute. But 
you think about the change of guard of the Premiership, everything that's happened this year, and we're losing superstars yeah. as well for the reasons that we know around salary cap and everything around that. But it's good to see Bath back up and running. Johan van Graam takes a bit of stick in South Africa. Left Munster didn't go incredibly well there, so wasn't too sure how he was going to do at Bath. You mentioned the signings that they've... Ollie Lawrence was a stroke of genius through default rather than design and how well that he's come through. They've got Finn Russell coming next year, so it's great to see from a traditionalist point of view, Bath coming good at the back end of the season. Imagine how many beers Finn Russell had on Saturday night knowing that he is now playing Champions Cup rugby for Bath next year. Loads. How do you think they'll go now with him in there? You know, when you look at the, the bones of their team... Alfie Barbary will be back next season in the back row. You've got Ted Hill. You've got Sam Underhill. You look at the names in the back row, the full pack. The big difference they had over the last sort of six weeks, they've had Benno Urbano back and Will Stewart as their two first choice props. And that's a massive difference in any team, right? You lose both of those boys for a big chunk of the year and they're your first choice loose head and tight head and it's a tough day at the office for second, third and fourth choices. But you stick Finn Russell in the mix now. You look at that back line, Ollie Lawrence, Jomo, Ben Spencer at nine, playing exceptionally well. You've got McConaughey on the wing. You've got Cock and a Singer on the other wing. When he's keen, when he's up for it. When he wants it. But my God, at the weekend, he did want it. You've got Cam Redpath as well. The, the talent they've got there is ridiculous. Bath's problem for years and years and years. They've had so much talent, so much ability, so much potential. They just haven't ever really had the cojones to compete with the top teams week in, week out and nut out victories. They're a bit soft. Well, they have been seen as a bit soft. Finn isn't changing necessarily the softness factor because I'm talking about the forward pack there, but he will add a hell of a lot of excitement. And if, you know, when Scotland get knocked out early of the World Cup, as they will, it'll be right there to make a big difference early in the Premiership season, won't he, Jim? What they need, I'm not even going to answer that, what Bath need <laughs> is a tough old second row. So they are light in the front five, in my opinion. I think they might be top four next year, but it'll be interesting to see if they've got anyone lined up. Dave Atwood's leaving He's a big player, massive fan. Big shout out to him as well. He's retiring at the end of the season. Be interesting to see if they can fill that void. Well, you've got Finn Russell coming in. You've got Pieter and Semi leaving. Looking at that, who do you think over the years has been the best ever premiership import? Well, there's been, actually, when you go through the archives and producer Rob hit us with some because he loves his ruggers that much from when he was four years old and watching Francois Pienaar turn out for Saracens. So you think that Francois Pienaar the South African World Cup winning iconic moment, arguably the most iconic moment in rugby, played in the Premiership back in the day. We've had some great players. Goody, we were chatting about Pat Howard as well that you mentioned. Yeah, Pat Howard would 100% be my the, the biggest impact. Yeah, we won it five times, once with him as coach, four times as a player. Coming over from Australia, I think he's had a massive impact. What do you judge the best import on? Is it just their individual ability and then you're talking Charles Piertau or you're talking Semi Randrandra, Nick Evans as well another one or are you talking someone that has won a lot of premierships playing at the top week in week out it's a, a different conversation isn't it so Pat Howard for me had a massive impact on my career but also hell of a import Nick Evans was unbelievable only won the Prem once for me one of the best imports you played with him Jim shout Brits Scott Brits yeah Jinx. There we go. I would say him, for me, I, I would say Scott Bridge. I'll tell you why. Because of the way that he played rugby. Yeah. With a smile on his face and he punched Owen Farrell. And <laughs> I know it wasn't the premiership. <laughs> but the way that he played rugby, one of the most naturally gifted athletes. I reckon he could have played NFL, right? And as a hooker, been able to carry the ball, been able to step, 
like we've had loads, haven't we? I remember playing with Dan Lyle, for example, yeah. from the US, from the US Eagles. Like there's been loads. Martin Castro Giovanni at Leicester, who was a bit of a court hero. I uh, loved going down, taking a knee, just so when he got up, everyone cheered. Sebastian Chabal as well at Sale. Like there's loads if you go through the archives. But for me, because I've played with him and the way that he played rugby, and I think the general consensus would be around Scout Brits, I'm going to say him. Yeah, I love a bloke as well. So he wins it. What about your mate? Jordy Murphy played in seven premiership winning teams and won two Heineken Cup finals. Oh, don't see him as an import. I don't know why. It, he is an import. Well, so am I then, if he is? Well, no, because you came from Cov. Oh, okay. He came over from Ireland when he was about 18 and he lived with Jono's parents, lived with Jono, one of the most decorated premiership players. Yeah, it's a shout. Jordan Murphy's a shout. Back onto the pitch, London Irish, they beat Exeter 17-14, but off the pitch, the players hadn't been paid for April, but they have now been paid. What's going on there with the US takeover, lads? Well, I did a bit of research, a bit of digging, went into my contact book, and apparently the takeover's going through, but some money got held back in escrow. It takes a lot longer to get money over, supposedly, from America to the UK for some reason on a business transaction, and it was just a delay. And then, obviously, it was a bank holiday. They all got paid, I think it was by last Wednesday or Thursday, in time for the weekend. And fair play to the old London Irish owner, Mick Crossan, who put his hand in his pocket and said, I will pay the money to ensure that we finish the season as this takeover is going through. So I presume there'll be a rejig in the figures. He'll get his money back. But Mick Crossan's been an unbelievable backer of London Irish, what they've done, how they've done it. He's put his hand in his pocket time after time after time. He's probably lost a boatload of cash in doing so, but he did it from a place of love and you know has got to the end of his tether with it because he's not seeing any return on investment and you know he's managed to get an American consortium together to buy it so there was loads of false headlines I think last week from the outside from what I understand of it going bust and all this stuff but ultimately it's been sorted and hopefully you'll see a smooth takeover now at the end of their season they've done exceptionally well they produce some unbelievable talent they have done for years and they've got themselves qualified for the Champions Cup again next year so they've had a great year just missed out on the playoffs and hopefully that the coaching staff and Declan Kidney Bean and the new owners will want to build on that. How funny is it the tone changes when stuff like this happens? Like people are saying, oh, you can't keep throwing money at teams, you can't keep throwing money at rugby yet. We're now encouraging people from America to throw money at it because people aren't getting paid. Do you know what I mean? That there is a kind of dark irony around this conversation. Like we shouldn't really, well, I am because I feel differently, be encouraging people to buy London Irish I can't see how a club like London Irish is commercially sustainable. The main thing is they don't own the stadium. Yes, they produce brilliant talent. If you're an investor, so say you're and you want return on investment, and you're like, I tell you what, I'm going to look at a rugby team. You look down that list, I imagine London Irish would be at the bottom of that list because of the reasons that I've just said. So I'll go back to my initial point a few months ago, or even a couple of years ago. You need people with open checkbooks. If you're looking for a return, in many of the models that we see, you ain't getting a return on investment. So we need to be comfortable to say that is what we need. We need need to be able to put our hands out with our trousers down by our ankles, start bollock naked and say, I'm begging you, (laughs) please, please. please. We need some money. So, you know what I mean, Goody? We've gone back and forth on it now. I think surely we can agree the only way forward is a dark hole of investment however that looks from hear me out America yes for some reason they've got loads of money there's talk of 
Saudi Arabian money, Indian money. Don't get on the Saudi I route. Know, I know, but look, mate, that's what other sports have done. This is the conversation. So, yes, it's a dark conversation to have because of the the rules and laws and of human rights in Saudi Arabia. I'm just saying, you look at boxing, what they do over there, UFC, what they do over there. Look at football. The World Cup. Exactly, the World Cup. Wrexham. Wrexham, American money. Yeah, but you're bringing it back up. You're going back up. I'm, I'm talking dark. I'm going dark first, Andy Rowe. I'm going dark and I'll bring it back. <laughs> we need to look at it if we want the game to survive with investment, but no one's talking about it because it is a dark hole to go down. The dream would be that the fucking Rock and Jason Momoa and Ryan Reynolds turns his head to rugby and says, you know what? Bloody love that game. Uh, that Newcastle team or that Doncaster team, actually, I was chatting to my agent about it. Someone buying Doncaster, hell of a story, salt of the earth, northern grit, bringing that team up. It wouldn't take a lot of investment to take them to win the Champions Cup, but it needs... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wouldn't take a lot of investment to get them to win the Champions Cup? No. Compared to football, if you're looking to buy a team. 100 million quid to get... Nah, not 100 mil. 100%. Over time, logistics... What do you mean logistics? Well, you're talking about <laughs> stadiums, you're talking about marketing teams, you're talking about building a product. You can't... Oh, that's admin. That's not logistics, <laughs> what do that's you mean, admin. admin? <laughs> <laughs> but you're talking Champions Cup, James. Well, that's a big dream. I'm selling them the dream, mate. And this is why it's 100 mil. They come in, how much do they have to build a squad to eventually get into the premiership? How long does that take? Well, it doesn't matter. They only need 5 mil because the bloody salary cap's been cut because you forced it through. So it's only 6 million, so whatever it <laughs> but is. Of course it matters, right? Because there's no promotion relegation yet. So how many years have they got to do that for until they get promotion? That's, say, three years. There's 18 million quid, right? If you're going 6 mil a year. Well, you're a long way off 100. Hold on, that's just on players. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you think it's 6 million to pay the players, it's another 6 million for everything else at the club a year, probably, in terms of expenditure. You've got to build a stadium or you've got the Doncaster Stadium. So, okay, we'll let that go. So there's probably 10 million a year just to even get into the Premiership, right? And it's going to take you three years. So there's 30 million. You get into the Premiership, Right, you've got another year where you've got to spend another 10 mil. Okay, so now we're on 40 mil. 40 mil. I'm backing that they're going big early on. So we're up at 40 mil before you've even qualified for the Champions Cup. Year five, all those players, by the way, have had five years on that money. They're all retiring now, so you've got to find a load more. So you've probably got to pay them double. The, the salary cap's gone up now to 10 million, so you're spending 10 million plus another 10 plus. You're at 100 mil, Jim. No, because it, they'll do the Ben Foster thing. Like they'll they'll see the value in being in a team that is owned by The Rock and Jason Momoa and Ryan Reynolds. So they'll be like, I want in on this because I'm going to become famous. Anyway, story for another time. On to something positive. Rob Dupree, Owen Farrell, Oi Lawrence and Jesper Visa have all been nominated for Premiership Player of the Year. Who gets your vote, lads? It depends how they do it because naturally you'd want them to pick from arguably a top four or a top team, Owen Farrell, fits that bill. Jasper Vies has been brilliant. We spoke about Bath briefly. I think what Ollie Lawrence, I know a load of the Worcester players had to go through it as well and think about what he's had to do, whether or not they take that into account with Worcester, everything that he went through with that, getting into the England squad and being part of Bath's revolution, if you want to call it that. I would have him. I mean, Farrell's won a load of stuff anyway. You know, Jasper Vies is going to win a World Cup, so, or is he? Or is he? I agree with you on Ollie Lawrence. I actually look at it on impact of games and impacts on games. And I'm going Owen Farrell. And I know it's the big name in that list and all this stuff. And Jim said he's won loads of stuff. But when you dig deep into what he's done this year for Saracens in the Premiership in terms of games played, impacts on games, 
how he's led the team, how many games he's won for them at times single-handedly. I think he's been unbelievable at Saracens at fly half. So who picks it? Well, it's selected by a panel of experts. No, I've not. No, 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 no neither <laughs> you or I, on Jim. I'm on a different panel. I'm on the Champions Cup Player of the Year panel. Yeah, um, I'm not on that. No, yeah. but anyway, this is Premiership. This is not about me. I'm going Owen Farrell. Anyone else you think should be on that list? I reckon any of the Dupree brothers. Yeah, Rob Dupree, his brother John Luke in the second row. So again, you've got to look at it one and two. Consistency over the year. Players that have played week in, week out, not necessarily the internationals. Jasper Visa's the right call. I've got one. Gus War at nine. Oh. We saw Fafter Clerk left last year. Rafi Quirk's been injured a lot this year. Gus War has played pretty much week in, week out and has had some unbelievable performances. So it's a name that people wouldn't go, oh yeah, definitely him. Because you have to go thinking and looking at how much people have played and how much the impacts they've had on games. Gus War has been unbelievable for sale this year at nine. You can look at London Irish players as well. Ollie Hassel Collins on the wing for them. Caden Murley for Quinns, top try scorer. Yeah. Well, let's have a look at the URC now then. Ulster finished second on the table, unable to get the win at home to Connacht. How big of a disappointment is that for them? And where does Dan McFarlane go from here? Well, there was whispers in the lead up when I watched it around Dan McFarlane. No one really wanted to say it, but they had Andrew Trimble, friend of the show, Stevie Ferris, two Ulster players. And there's rumours and grumblings that things aren't all rosy at Ulster. And when you look at the league table, they finished second behind Leinster. Clear favourites to beat Connor at the weekend. Mm-hmm. A little bit more context into the Ulster. They're going to be losing 10 players, either through moving on, pastures new, or retiring. Big names, Alan O'Connor, who's a stalwart in the team. Dwayne Vermeulen, high profile, as we know, World Cup winner. Craig Gilroy's leaving, Rory Sutherland, Jeff Tramanger-Allen, Rob Little, Sam Carter, friend of the show, Jordy Murphy as well. So there's a big turnover, right? So there's a lot of emotion in the lead-up to that game. And again, you're hearing the grumblings around not a happy camp, which is weird because everything I've heard about Dan McFarland and my mate Roddy Grant coaches there is that it's brilliant. So I was thinking, ah, oh, well, you know, they might just be saying it or whatever before the game. And then I watched them and they were so far off the pace physically in what was going to be a high energy game for them because of the players that are leaving, because they've got a home semi, because they finished second, because they haven't won anything in years yet. They've come so close. I know the scoreline was 10 points to 15 in favour of Connor. That scoreline didn't reflect the game. Ulster got absolutely black. Ulster could have won the game. In the second half, they came back. Robert Balakoon had a three touches of the ball and made three unbelievable breaks. But you know a lot about a team around the physicality, their desire and the breakdown, and they just got blown off the park, Ulster. I mean, I, I was shocked. And I say that with all due respect to Connor, but I was shocked with how poor Ulster were. And I hate to say that. Yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? Because ultimately, do you go hard at Ulster because they did massively underperform, or do you credit absolutely everything to Connacht? And mm. you can't credit absolutely everything to Connacht, but they were unbelievable. You talked about the back row. Seamus Hurley-Langton was ridiculously good on the Kian Prendergast as well. And then my boy Finley Beal and Matt Hansen getting turnovers galore with a split head. But you're right, about Ulster, you've got a home quarter and a home semi, and then you put that out there. Something ain't right, is there? Because they get blitzed. Yeah, they're a team that is all out, all about physicality. Route one, runners off nine. Their driving line-out's been really strong for them. So physical. So it's not overly complicated. They don't play a huge amount of rugby. Jacob Stockdale's been out injured and he's just coming back into a bit of form. 
But yeah, they just got blown away physically. So I do wonder whether there'll be changes there. Like I mentioned, 10 players coming out. They've got a couple of big players coming in. Stephen, get your kits off, is coming in. The South African Lucid prop and Dave Ewers from Exeter. But out with that, there's not a huge amount coming in. So watch this space because the Ulster fans expect and they thought this was the year. Obviously, it's not. No. Credit to Connacht, though. How good? Connacht were brilliant. Yeah, you mentioned Kean Prentagast, Seamus Hurley Langton, and Connor Oliver. To a man, I thought that they were brilliant. And you mentioned Mac Hansen there. He's going to get the plaudits, but he was unbelievable again. Tell the gash that on his head, though. What a gash on oh, his head. Oh, my word. See his brain. He's well happy about it. <laughs> Has he got a really thick forehead or something? Because if I touch my forehead, there ain't much there. There's a lot of skin, but there's no meat behind it, which is not normal for me. The depth of that cut that he's put on social media looked ridiculous, didn't it? Yeah, he's nails. Got his tape on his head, Wade Dooley style. Off he goes. What a boy. Yeah, he needs more of a beard though, because he's got like a shotgun chin, hasn't he? So he needs like more of a beard, I think. He's not got a great chin. <laughs> Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just eight ninety seven for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just eight ninety seven at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. Well, we're going to have a chat now with Connacht head coach Andy Friend. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm well, thanks, mate. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Not that we didn't think that you would make it this far and that you'd be heading to South Africa this week. I watched the game and I actually think the scoreline flattered Ulster, to be fair. Where does that rank in best wins in your career? Yeah, it'd be right up there, Jim. I'd say it's probably one of the best wins I've had as the as the Connacht coach, or we've had as a team. I should say it's not about friendly; it's about the team. So it, it was a yeah, it was a monumental win. History will tell you it's been very difficult for Connacht to win up in Ulster, and we've done it now three times in the last five years, which is you know which has been great. But this one tips us into a semi final, and that's only the second time in Connacht's history they've been in a semi final. So I think that that sort of trumps everything and. You know, we've got the Stormers awaiting for us down in Cape Town on Saturday. Be a massive game. We'll come on to that in a minute. But from an outsider's point of view, and, and correct us if we're wrong, but you see everything going towards the Leinster team and everything related to that. And then obviously the other three provinces, there's obviously Sales, Munster and, and Ulster. To the outsider, you probably look like the team that maybe gets the least amount of help from the RFU, but you punch way above your weight, clearly. How much did it mean to you to go to one of the big dogs 
supposed Irish big dogs and, and beat them at the weekend and not put two fingers up to everyone that thinks that you're the poor relation, but effectively do that. Goody, when I first joined Connett, someone said to me, um, Connett feed from the hindmost teat. And I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't too sure what that meant. But uh, about three months into it, I worked it out. I went, yeah, fair enough. Um, but uh, listen, one of the good things about the four-province model is we don't have the same sort of resources nor, nor – um, well, it's resources, really. We do get some really good funding from the RFU, but we just don't have the we don't have the the demographics in terms of you know the west of Ireland's a Gaelic province, really. Uh, they play a lot of football and they play a lot of hurling. Rugby is, is growing there, but I think Connacht's always sort of been seen as the as the additional province. Uh, but we play these enterprises. We play Leinster, Munster, Ulster twice each year, uh, even in through the URC competition. And there's an enormous rivalry, and, and we're really proud of our homegrown players. We've got a target of having a minimum of 30% of homegrown Connacht born and bred players in the team. We've got that at the moment, we've got about 33%. But we do pick up some of the other players from other provinces that that can't make it or they didn't want it at certain stages. So we've got this mentality of blokes who are coming down here going, you didn't want me and I've got myself a club and the club worked pretty damn hard and when we get a chance to knock one of them off, it, it, it's, it's a great feeling, I will say. So... Yes, Friday night was one of those feelings where it was the odds weren't with us. Um, I don't punt. I used to, not allowed to anymore. But when you look at what the bookmakers had us at and a uh, 10-point start for us, um, it's nice to be able to prove them wrong. Yeah, I think it's more when they looked at the history books. I know that the gap's been closed recently when you got a win down there. But what was it? Is it 50-something years before that? Well, it was my first year and, and I remember I must have been about five or six games into the season and I was asked in the media, how are you going to break the hoodoo? And I said, I have no, I had no, and I had no idea what the hoodoo was. And they said, oh, it's 58 years since you've beaten Ulster up there. I said, well, 58 years. I said, well, I can tell you now we're not talking about that because I guarantee you, I reckon the previous 58 years, they would have been talking about that. So we're not going to do that. And we happened to go and have a win, which was beaut. So... It was my first year. It was Dan McFarlane's first year. Dan was a Dan played for Connacht. Dan coached Connacht. A really proud Connacht man as well, and uh, that definitely stung him. I knew he, Dan's a good man. We had a coffee on Friday morning, and you know we had a good chat around the game. and And the fact that sadly in our game at the moment, you know you got a winning team and a losing team, and and the winning team are supposedly heroes, and the losing team, you know the players and the staff are, are, are muppets, and that's not that's not the way it should be, but. Dan and I sort of joked about that and I said, well, mate, listen, I hope we win and you don't, no doubt hope you do, but if it is you that doesn't win, try and reflect on, on what a brilliant season you've had, which he, they have had a brilliant season. They've had a brilliant five years. They're always up there or thereabouts, but uh, unfortunately for, for them, unfortunately for us, we were, the, we were the winners on Friday. Just looking at the comment you made around the bookmakers and you can see why, right? When you look at the two teams on paper, Ulster finishing second, Dwayne Vermeulen, just to name one, littered with Irish internationals in the Ulster team as well. But actually, I've watched you play this season. You've got global superstars, I'm going to call him, Mac Hansen, playing in your team. You've got Finley Bealham who rocks up every week. But for me, it was the out-and-out desire, the old-school grit, the physicality that you showed up with. The bat row, who many people wouldn't have heard of the bat row, uh, Kian Prentagas, Seamus Hurley, Langton, Connor Oliver, I thought they were absolutely phenomenal, like as in world-class. Like So it's more than just having the star names, is it? It's getting the very best out of the players that you've got, which you seem to be doing. Yeah, and you're right. Like They, they were phenomenal, Jim, and, and I thought... Um... Yeah, you know, so many others were on, on that night as well. And and when we have our big wins, 
we do have those blokes. You know, we, we, we talk about as a, as a style of rugby, we want to play. We used to talk about attractive rugby, but it's not about, you know, we don't want to be the, the flash team and lose all the time either. So we want to play a positive brand of footy. To me, the reason William Webellis picked up the ball was because he was bored of kicking the thing, right? So he said, I'm going to run with it. But at the moment, we've got so much kicking in the game. I, I believe kicking needs to be in the game. And actually, we're the team that kicks the most in the competition, believe it or not. We get the most meterage in the competition. But everyone that watches us play believes we play this really open brand of footy. We just protect the, the, the areas of the field that we want to protect. But we play this from a Connacht point of view. We play a really positive brand of rugby that shows the fighting spirit of the West of Ireland. And to live on the West of Ireland, I can tell you, having been here for five years, you need to have a good sense of humour and you need to have a fighting spirit because the natural climate and the conditions don't lend themselves to coming here and just having a, a whale of a time by, you know, because of the, the natural beauty. There's natural beauty, but it's it's wind and rain and it's it can be nasty. So hopefully we show that in the way we play our footy. Um, we don't do it all the time, but we're getting to the stage where it's becoming more common and not common. And certainly Friday night was one of those really big occasions where we got the most out of, or the boys got the most out of themselves. And as you blokes know, like you've played the game, at the end of the day, like the players have to want to do it. And and Friday night, they showed they really wanted that. There's tremendous confidence and, and belief in their own ability at the moment, individually and collectively, and, and that becomes really powerful. So it was nice to see that on display on Friday. And Jim mentioned a few names there. I was just watching Seamus Hurley-Langton. Now, what a name, first and foremost. I know he's a youngster, obviously, coming over from New Zealand. Is he, he's got to have some Irish blood in him, hasn't he, with a name like that? He does. He's um, sadly one generation, or sadly for Ireland, he's one generation away. He, like, he can't get his passport. I think it was his great-grandmother. So oh. we've we've got a, an analyst, Simon Cavanaugh, who does an amazing job and crunches numbers as all analysts do. And and Seamus' name popped out of uh, out of his, his number machine about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And we've had a fair few of those pop out out Again, we talk, go back to our resources. We can't afford an RG Snowman. We can't afford a Dame Delandy and, and Dwayne Vermeule. And we'd love to, but we, we don't have the funds for that. So our model is to try and find the rough diamond and polish him up. And Mac Hansen was a rough diamond. And we, we managed to polish him, Colby Fanger, in the first year. I think he's, he's shone since he's come through. You know, he's, he's now over in um, Japan playing for, for the Kamishi Seaways, I believe, or Kuden, actually. Kuden Denki might be playing for. But, you know, he left us and went to Lyon. Um, Johnny Porch has come in. He's done extremely well. Jared Butler, I think Jared's played his best footy since he's come here to, to Ireland. And for a lot of people, they're names that they wouldn't have heard of before. We tend to go for a lot of the, the Australians, Kiwis, because – Tim Allnut's our head of operations. He's a Kiwi, you know, my, my Australian background. So we, we know a lot of those blokes. But, yeah, Seamus fell out of that, um, the crunching machine, I'll call it. And um, he's been unbelievable. I, I just thought he was phenomenal on uh, on Friday night. Not only the amount of work he got through because he got through a shed load of work, but just the his ability to, to have an impact around that breakdown, it was just, it was just phenomenal. So, yeah, he, he was very impressive. Connor Oliver's been brilliant for us all year. He's been our second most minuted player. Plays with real passion, real energy, real heart. Came out of the Leinster system at Blackrock, went into went into Munster, was fallen out of that, and then came over to us. And he's not a big man, but geez, he plays big. He was brilliant. And then Keen Prendergast, you know, another young young gun who's um, been in and out of the Irish stuff, but he, he's got a really bright future ahead of him. And they're just three of the names which you gave me there before, Jim, but... But yeah, it's great seeing those young blokes do so well. You mentioned Mac Hansen as well, and I know Jim did. He's going to come over and do a tattoo for Jim at some point <laughs> for a bet they lost. Uh, how's his head? Because I keep showing my daughters his head from that picture at the weekend. Wow. 
You can see his brain. Yeah, so bits of it, maybe. Uh, <laughs> we just had him here for dinner, actually. He's uh, He left about 15 minutes ago. He's a, he's a great bloke. He's tough too, though, mate, because that was a nasty gash. And he came back out there and uh, I, I thought still had amazing impact in that second half. Like he got, he got one of those jackal turnovers about 15 from, from our line. Balakoon had made a break. He managed to get back and tackle him. Bounce to his feet, makes the outside break or gets the outside tackle as well and gets the turnover. So, you know, I think Max sort of known for his ability with the football, but um, it, it's his ability to read the game and put himself in the right spots. And I don't know if you, I'm sure you blokes have met him, but you'd walk past him in the street, you wouldn't think he's a footballer. But when he when he pulls on a jersey, he can play. Yeah, he's really changed the narrative, I think, in terms of, I know Cheslin Colby came through and as a small winger, but you mentioned the breakdown. Like in the Six Nations, Big Mac was turning teams over fun as well. But I do want to clear up one thing because there's a few different rumours out there about how he actually came to Connacht. One was around your son having an influence on him in a bar. If that isn't true, can you just make one up and just so it sounds true? Because it sounds legendary. Or can you just clear up, clear up how you managed to get Mac Hansen? Because he's now become one of the best players in the world as it stands at the minute. How did you get him to Connor? So we'd been following him for about a year and a half. We knew he had an Irish heritage, but honestly, I hadn't seen enough to make me convinced that he was going to do anything. And then probably his last six months with the Brumbies, every time he touched the footy, he was he would beat a defender. And I remember the old, I don't know if you blokes used to watch your league, but there's a bloke called Chicka Ferguson, Johnny Ferguson. And, and there used to be the Chicka stat. So every time Chicka Ferguson would touch the footy, he'd beat one defender and that was his... It was your go-to. And I started watching Mac. I'm thinking, he's a chicka, he's a chicka Ferguson. I spoke to him. I got his number from the agent and I spoke to him. I knew he was a Canberra boy and I'm from Canberra and um, he seemed like a decent young fellow. And about two days later, my son says to me, um, what are you talking to Mac Hansen for? And I said, how the hell do you know I'm talking to Mac Hansen? He said, because I serve him at the pub. And I went, oh, right. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, oh, what's he like? He said, oh, yeah, he's all right. He's a good bloke. But it happens that my mate runs the pub. So I rang my mate Jem and I said, um, JJ, uh, I believe Mac Hansen's a, a client of yours. He said, oh, geez, you can play footy, friend. I said, I can see that. I said, but I, I want to know about him as a bloke. And he said, oh, he's a bit loose, mate. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> and I said uh, is he loose like you? Because he's my mate Jem's pretty loose. And he goes, yeah, he's just like me. I said, "Oh, that's a good, that's a good loose. I can handle that." That's cool. <laughs> so that's how that's how my son came into it and Jen came into it. But I shared the story with someone, and, and it just got around that you know. And then the story came out that Mac walked in the bar and said, "G'day, fellas. I played a bit of footy on Irish." And my son said, "My dad's Andy Friend, and he'll sign that kind of." That's probably a better story, but. The real story is what I just shared with you. Ah, uh, still good. Yeah, the best story is you said he's loose, and that's what why you signed him. So, yeah, we're all everyone's going to be loose now. Yeah, well, you got to be loose in the right way, Andy. You know that too. So, yeah, really- I've, I've I've overstepped the line a few times. Um, <laughs> talking about loose, then let's talk about the semi final. You're obviously going over to the Stormers. I need to know how you're getting there. It's now Monday evening. You're playing the game this weekend. We see loads of horrible pictures of boys having to fly with their knees around their heads in economy. That's not loose. That's horrible. How hard has it been logistically to get everything sorted to get over there? Has it been fairly easy? Or are you all flying business class or, or how's it looking? No, it's been very tricky, mate, because again, we didn't know until Friday night that we were definitely going and we didn't know until Saturday night as to where we were going. Were we going to Jaybird or were we going to Cape Town? So as you blokes would appreciate, the later you leave a flight, the more expensive it becomes. And then when you're trying to get 40 people on a flight or 38 people on a flight, it becomes very tricky. So we were running out of options pretty quickly. The only option we've got now, the, the way we're going, we, we leave the sports ground tomorrow at 10 o'clock. 
we'll get into Cape Town Wednesday morning around 10.30 um, via Doha. So we've got to go Qatar from Dublin to Doha, Doha then down to, to Cape Town. So it's about an 18 and a half hour spin. But listen, it's, it, yeah, we sort of, we share with the boys, we get on a flight tomorrow at 3.30, we'll end up in Doha around about 11, 11 o'clock at night. We'll jump on another flight just after midnight. So it's time to sleep. Go to sleep, wake up in the morning like you've had a good sleep. We'll get to Cape Town. You can head down to Willoughby's and have some sushi and get yourselves right. And then we'll train on Thursday, captain's run on Friday, and we'll be giving our best to, against the Stormers on Saturday. So with the travelling aspect to it, we all love a good tour, right? But this is now business. This is now a semi-final for a place in the final against the champions. This is all new, right? The South African teams, it's been great. They won it. Stormers, who you're playing against the weekend, current champions, if you could change something around that, would you change it or are you quite accepting that this is part of the story of the URC now? Or do you think, I can say it because I'm on the outside looking in, it seems like a big old ask, especially with the contact involved. Yeah, it's a big old ask. And you know, many years ago, I was coaching down the Waratahs and the Brumbies and we used to do that trip, but it was East and West then, which is even harder. So I sort of see this one, it's, it's a little bit easier, but mate, it's definitely not the right preparation, 18 hours on a plane when you're four days out from a game. That's not the right preparation, especially when you've got a game like we had on Friday night. Now, thankfully, we've got an eight-day turnaround, not a seven-day turnaround, so there's a little bit of, of an advantage for us there. But And the boys looked after themselves on Friday night and Saturday and Sunday. We trained, we trained double session today. We've got eight business class seats. And they'll go to the eight biggest blokes. We've only got them on the way out, on the way back. We've all, we're all economy. But ideally, there's a week off in between there so you can get there, you can acclimatise and you can get yourself, your bodies right for, for what's going to be another massive challenge. And you know, if they want good product, previously, again, I was a sevens coach. So I coached the Aussie sevens and we zipped around the world in economy. And, and that was tough. That was really tough because that's a brutal game as well. So I've, I've done the other side of that. I've seen the way the boys put up with that there. They're bigger men in the 15s, though, so it is harder. Yeah, it's something people have got to consider, I reckon, especially when we get into knockout stages. And then on the eight biggest players, I'm very good friends now with Finley Beelham from being on holiday. He's not that tall, but he's quite wide. How do you judge big? Is it tall or is it wide? You're right, Goody. No, we, and we said that. We said it's, you know, what is big? Is it is it height or is it width? Is it girth? And uh, <laughs> we've got uh, we got Finley who'd be saying, it's got to be width, friendy. So... Um, <laughs> I think I think so. I'm pretty sure he's going to end up with one of those seats. Yes, I've done it for my mate. I'm happy now. He listens as well. So Finley, if you listen to this, you've got it. You've got the seat. <laughs> yeah, he's been brilliant as well. Uh, just looking forward to the Stormers. Then the current champions, John Dobson, friend of the show. We've had him on before. Great character as well. Been awesome to speak to him over the last couple of years as well. How big a challenge going to that game? I know John. Um, actually, I was meant to go mountain biking with him last time we were there, but I went with Dice Naaman instead. So. <laughs> um, we might we might see if we can sneak out for a, a spin on the trails this uh, maybe Friday Thursday or Friday we'll see how we go. But listen, I mean they, last year's champions are a great great rugby side. I was really impressed that Munster was able to turn them over a few weeks ago down there, which doesn't really happen down there. So, but they seem to have got their mojo back. I thought they were good against the Bulls the other night. A lot of X Factor players. I think Manny Libox key for them, as you know, he's he's got a step, he's got pass, he's got all that sort of stuff. So. It might test his defence out a little bit, as as most teams would would do. But listen, they're a they're a quality rugby side. They've got a good scrum. They've got a good set piece. Lots of X factor. Uh, it's going to be tough for us. But at the same time, we're a team that's full of confidence at the moment, and you know we can get ourselves up like we did last Friday night. That becomes a dangerous thing. 
Yeah, definitely. And do you see, looking at both teams, from an outsider's point, I see you play a similar sort of way, right? They're not the your stereotypical South African team that just goes with a big power and a big kicking game. They have got those X-Factor players. So do you see that? But also, have you seen the pitch? It looked absolutely shocking on on, on the weekend. Yeah, it, it's it's a shame because it's a brilliant stadium, that one. I remember we played many a sevens tournament there. It's a brilliant stadium, but the pitch just seems to have cut up a bit. So, you know, it was, that was talked about today and the fact that all our forwards... You know they're going to need to wear the right the right footwear and the right the right side studs. You know it'll be the same for all the outside backs, all the backs. So you know if it's again you've got to try and get the right footwear, and I reckon that's a that'll be a key one for us. Let, let's hope it doesn't have any impact on the game. I think it's um, I read the other day that they had forty two thousand at the uh, the Bulls game, and they're talking they could even get more than that. So what a brilliant occasion! It'd be a brilliant occasion if we could if they could get even more than that. It wouldn't phase our blokes. You know again it would just be recognition of the fact you're in a in a semi-final in a, in a rugby-loving country and and um, let's hope that the ground and the surface holds up for us. Friendy, obviously, you know, we know, I'm saying friendy now, like you're, you're my friend. I'm going to call you friendy because... Everyone friend, calls me friendy, mate. Friend, friend of the show now. Obviously, we know you're leaving Connacht at the end of the year to, to go back to Australia. You've had a massive impact on the province and all your coaching time all over the world, actually. What, what's next for you, buddy? Because people want to know. I mean, I was trying to dig into it today. I'm like... Eddie Jones... Oh, is he? Is he? <laughs> no, no. I, listen, I, I, my wife and I, so, so we've been here five years, but this is the this is my twenty ninth year of doing this. We've had a brilliant time, but there becomes a stage where you just need to have a, you need to say enough's enough. So I don't think enough's enough completely, but we bought ourselves a motorhome about uh, a year and a half ago. We've got a ferry from Dublin to Cherbourg on the sixth of June. We've got a ferry back from Bill Bauer to, to Rosslare, which is in, in Cork on the 20th of November. We've got a flight booked back to Australia. So we've got just shy of six months traveling Europe. We'll duck into a few, um, maybe a couple of World Cup games, but uh, just, just enjoy a bit of chill time. Don't want to think about anything other than where we're camping that night. Is my beer cold? What tunes am I going to play on my guitar? Where am I going to ride my bike tomorrow? So that's the next sort of six months. We've got our two boys back home in Australia, the youngest one and his partner have just had a little little girl. So we've got a we've got a granddaughter now, so we'll sneak home and, and see them. And then I reckon in January twenty twenty four we'll make some decisions as to what the future holds. And that's quite liberating, I reckon. It's nice to know that we've got this butte time coming up. We're nice to know that we're gonna go home and, and get to see the family, which we haven't done for ten years, have a family Christmas. So that'll be that'll be brilliant. And then and then we'll make some decisions post that. I am gonna catch up with Eddie and St. Eddie Arm, but just to watch a game of footy. Sounds like a class six months, mate. All right, Freddy, well best of luck this weekend and enjoy the van tour. Good on you boys. Good to chat to you and well done with your pod too. It's great. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Good luck this weekend. Generally, thanks, fellas. Rooting Bye. for you, mate. Bye bye. Cheers, buddy. Top bloke. Top lad. Yeah. Bloody enjoyed that. Could have spoke to him all night. What a legend, eh? You understand why he wants his own time, family, and going traveling and all that stuff. But what a brain! Like you dig into how he is, and he's he's obviously a really good bloke. He's you know had a, a brilliant coaching career, but you just don't want to lose that education, that rugby IQ, do you? Because he's a brilliant guy. But he's going back. He's having some time off. How good would that be, Jim? Just six months in a motor van. What were the messes? <laughs> what about the kids? <laughs> yeah, I'm not ready for that just yet. Just yet, I'm not ready. I might be in a few years' time. But he's one of them guys where you can hear. You could speak to him, sit around, have a beer, plays a guitar, goes out on his bike. And you look at what he's done at Connacht. We haven't given them enough love. This year, again, I watched the game at the weekend. I commentated on, the, on them a few times this year. 
with what they've got. Think about the players that they've got in terms of profile and names. You look at Mac Hansen, Finley Bealham, and the players that we mentioned as well, players that aren't household names. They had a few inaccuracies in their game, but they blew Ulster off the park physically. And that's down to mindset, and that's down to coaching and how much you love the club that you play for. So class Savimon, love that. Hard one to call now who we're backing this weekend because obviously John Dobson, friend of the show. Friendy is now friend of the show, literally. Where are you going, Jim? Finley Bealham might swing it. I'm going, I'm going Connacht. I would love that story. I'd love to see Andy Friend with a URC medal around his neck doing the rounds in Europe for what he's done for the game, the amount of graft that he's put in. Imagine that, URC medal around the neck, me in the back with a cold beer, <laughs> gluten-free. Singing. And you... And you with three kebabs just singing away. <laughs> like, it, you know, it, this could be the changing point, there but it's going to be tough. Oh, it's going to be tough, isn't it? Tell the travel that. Brandy, we're coming for you. Tour de France, we'll be on it. Just not on the bike. I'll drive the minivan. And Munster bit Glasgow away as well. How big of an impact did that red card have? Oh, massive impact. Tom Jordan, red carded after 20 minutes. Happy with the red, Jim? Oh, 100%. Good. 100%. Just, I was just checking because it's Scottish. No, 100%. I do feel for him, though, because he pulled his hamstring in the lead-up. So. It's his own fault. It's his own fault. And, well, exactly. A load of talk in the build-up about the history between the two teams. Ryan Wilson, effectively, just riled up a load of Munster players in years gone by. So He's cost them, has he? Well, basically, it's his fault, yeah, that they're that rolled up. But you know what? Like, Munster hit with a load of injuries in the game. Like, Peter Romani went off early, looked like he's done his elbow or his bicep. He don't go off, basically, unless there's something wrong. So he's unlikely to play in the semi-final. Conor Murray with a HIA. The more worrying one was RG Snyman. He went off with another HIA. He went off for a couple of weeks ago and, and missed the game as well. So that's me being negative towards them playing in the semi. But physically, Munster were unbelievable like Glasgow got a brilliant line out drive uh, they play a great brand of rugby but they had no plan B and losing your 10 as we know has a huge impact on any team really but in a quarter final against a team like Munster who have just come in unbelievably good at the right time so it's so funny Goody watching Graham O'Rountree doing the interviews before and after like he's just such a nice guy like he's just so good when he talks I absolutely love it but how good was Gavin Coombs as well Gavin Coombs man of the match again Ridiculous. I mean we look at the state of the back row for Ireland like the fact that a player of that quality can I get a look him from a Glasgow perspective it's easy to say Tom Jordan going off had a huge effect their line out drive didn't work so that's been a huge weapon for Glasgow earlier on in the game they had an opportunity to go for sticks. And this is one of the things that was being t- t- spoken about after the game. It's like when you're in knockout rugby... Take the points. Yeah, do you take the points? Glasgow in the season haven't. They've been kicking to the core. They've got nothing. They've got no change out of it. And the momentum swing from that, they lose the line at drive and then they end up going down. And Munster against the run of play end up scoring. So in hindsight, and look, Glasgow in the Challenge Cup final against Toulon, do they change that mindset under Franco Smith and take the points when they're on offer? And the, the old analogy of building a... A scoreline, get the scoreboard ticking over, probably. Well, he said it. He said it, didn't he, Franco Smith? He said after the game that first 15, 20 minutes when they were so dominant, they got nothing from it. That was the biggest impact on them compared to obviously losing your fly off as well. And he didn't want to blame Jordan for the red card and why they lost, but you've got to take points in knockout rugby. It's very different to league rugby where you can rely on momentum and all that stuff off the back of you know teams not really being that interested if in certain games. 
knockout rugby's king and points take the three, six, nine, and then you make a monster chase the game, aren't you? And then the red card comes, it doesn't happen. Monster get a couple of tries, they're 14 nil up, and then there's no way back. What I am going to say though, why have you got Hugh Jones on the bench? He's one of Scotland's best players in the Six Nations, if not their best player. Yeah, Stephen McDowell and Sione Tupolotu has been playing 13. Maybe it's the more physical nature combination he's gone for. Like Sione Veilanu was on the bench as well, who has been carving up. So again, hindsight with Glasgow. Now they've got a bit of strength in depth. I think they'll change it. I think Veilanu will come in in the Challenge Cup final. Hugh Jones will definitely come back in. But yeah, like Glasgow had a brilliant season. Yeah, they have. Brilliant season. And if it wasn't for that red card, it might have been different. But you look at that Munster team, how they're growing, the size of the pack. And the physicalities, they're not going to beat Leinster. Like the players ain't going to be back. So that's the problem, isn't it? So you don't want to write them off, but they are. And we'll talk about Leinster in a minute. Losing the likes of Peter Omani and other boys injury-wise, it just plays into Leinster's hands because when we get talking about Leinster, they played half-half, didn't they? And they'll be fully barred up this weekend. So you do feel for Munster just on the depth of the squad. Their first choice team, I reckon, could go toe to toe and have a hell of a ding dong. Probably not beat Leinster in the Aviva, but. These injuries are just going to have a massive impact, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Well, Fekatoa's out from what I've read. RG Snyman's out as well. And Conor Murray. So, your three frontline best players, like you just said. You hope Leinster put the third team out because they've got the Champions Cup final the week after. Well, they didn't even name their best side and they still saw off the Sharks by 30 points, didn't they? Yeah, Jim said it, didn't he? When we talked about it last week. The Sharks are obviously missing a few. Khaleesi was out injured. Sabeth wasn't playing, so they were missing some of their frontliners. But what I loved is Leinster, they made a few changes. Dave Carney, five minutes in, got absolutely rinsed by Grant Williams for that try. And you're thinking maybe Sharks have got a chance here. But I did like the way Leinster sort of mixed in some of the players that have played a lot in the URC. It was Kieran Frawley at 13. Uh, Lama's back in the mix, Luke McGrath at nine, Max Deegan played at six, you know, Conan was on the bench. They rested a few, but still had way too much for the Sharks. And and this is the thing with Leinster now, they've got semi-final, final, and then potentially another final. And it's just about managing the squad. And because of the size of the squad, they have been able to manage it. You talk about months to go into Dublin next week, they're missing three or four of their top players. They haven't got the ability to bring in three or four quality players like Leinster do. So... Everything's written for Leinster to go on and win the the double, but as we know, they've fallen short in big knockout games previously. Last year, no one thought they'd lose to the Bulls, did they? But they did. So stranger things have happened. Well, the Bulls lost to the Stormers on the weekend in a repeat of last year's final. Jake White wasn't very happy, was he, Jim? No, he's not happy. He's not happy with the referees, with our mate Jaco Piper and Marius Jonker. He is not happy with them, so... He made some comments around some of the high tackles and stuff that weren't given. And it wasn't sour great. He had a point. Yeah, he did have a point. And he actually held his tongue quite well. So when he's being asked by the reporter, who was grilling him quite hard on that, but I still think the Stormers would have won. He said that though, didn't he? He said, look, the Stormers were better, but it's the inconsistency of referees, right? They were the better team. Yeah, Dion Free, I thought was outstanding again in the back row. He's about 45. He's going to the World Cup, Jim? I don't know, but he'd be up for player of the season for the URC. And for the Stormers, Marnie Leboc was back and just absolutely killing it at fly-off. He is an absolute rock star. They're a good side, aren't they? They play an exciting brand of rugby. You know, It's not the classic South African stick it up the jumper, drive it, boot it as hard as you can, as far as you can. They play a real classy game. I like Yankees at nine. Leboc, I spoke about at 10, was class. Willem saw at fullback, a real star. 
and they they took them apart really. And there were some grumblings around the refereeing decisions, and Jake White isn't happy, but he also did say that they were beaten by the better team. And credit to the Stormers, they played the ref a bit better and you know played better rugby. And on they marched to the semi finals to see if they can defend their title. Well, let's start looking at the semi finals. We'll start with the Premiership predictions, and then we'll go to the ORC. Saracens, Northampton. Can you see any way that Saints can upset the odds here? Oh, they're all on the piss on Saturday. At- Dave Rivens is leaving, do. They ain't taking it seriously, are they, lads? Apparently not, Andrew. <laughs> I'm joking. They played a bit of beer pong, apparently. Yeah, it's a hard one. I watched some of the BT Sport coverage at the weekend, and Ross Hamilton, I've got to give him a shout-out, who's the major stat man at BT Sport. What he did, and showing where there are weaknesses, he was absolutely class. And what he showed was Saints implode in the last 20 minutes. And that's exactly where Saracens exactly. Often, often get stronger. Saints can cause some serious damage. Some serious, serious damage. You know, they're attacking lines, they run the shapes, the speed that they play out. I think they get, they're leading the premiership stats in meters made, in offloads, in line breaks, and all this stuff. But they implode in the last 20 minutes and knock out rugby, the experience of it. Some big question marks about Saracens as well with the injuries that they've got. You know, his interest in selection by Mark McCall, he's obviously rested all these boys, you know, who have played a lot of rugby, but would still be hurting from that Lara shoulder feet. So, Tough one to call. I think Saracens will have too much. Northampton, bloody dangerous. But when you look at the out-and-out stats of how they fall apart in the last 20 minutes, they're going to have to turn it around massively to win that game because they should have won at the Stonex earlier in the season. If you remember, they were 30-odd points up, 30-odd 15 up or something. And Saracens come back and, and get the win at the end. And I don't know, just mentally there's something about Saints that unless it's all going swimmingly for them, they ain't quite the team that people think they are, but they're a damn good team to watch at times. Well, they are, and Saracens have been top of the log for the majority of the season, if not all the season. But all of it, there has been chinks in the armor, haven't there? Like you saw that game against La Rochelle. I know it was La Rochelle. Uh, the first half against London Irish, obviously got absolutely spanked at the weekend against Bath. I know it was a team that was full of the third string players, nothing to play for. But there's been a few performances, especially first half, that has been quite worrying. And look, this is me kind of being. A little bit harsh on them, but you look, Marrow's not been the player that he was. Jamie hasn't played as well. Uh, Billy Vanderpoel is injured. Alex Good is now 35. He's no spring chicken. So you look at the profile of the team, as in the ones before where they were the absolute superstars, best players in their position. They have been limping a little bit this season, but if any team can do it and turn it around when it really matters, it's Saracens, right? We've seen it before. And you do feel that at some point... It's all going to come good. Yeah, Elliot Daly being back, I think, is a big factor as well because, yes, he was playing some wonderful rugby for Saracens earlier in the year. He has had up and down games before, but that left boot in knockout rugby could be absolutely critical. And Sal v Leicester, two very similar styles of play, aren't they? What do you think the difference will be? They are similar, but I think Sale are a couple of levels above physically. And the lesser lads are going to be listening to this or someone's going to pin this up and put it to... Jasper Visa and Julian Montoya and say we're not physical enough but Sale if you watch the way that they play physically they're monsters it's going to come down to discipline isn't it Sale their Achilles heel for the last two three years has been discipline right whether or not that's a yellow card whether or not that is too physical in a collision Manu one of the Dupree brothers high shots you don't really know if Sale keep all their players on the pitch I just think physically they've got too much if Leicester win fair play like unbelievable what a season thinking what they've been through with all the changes and then with them changes there's going to be change again at the end of the season Andre Pollard's come good for them 
yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be class. How good is it to see Sale as well get a home semi-final? Friend of the show, Simon Orange, mates with his brother Jason, saw him once. But we're, we're big Alex Anderson fans. Yeah, so for me, it's going to be a great contest. But I just think Sale physically just have a little bit too much. Yeah, one thing I'm going to say about Sale, when you talk about their discipline... I think Leicester will go after them at scrum time. So it's going to be one of those games that's going to be so much kicking. I just think if there is a slight weakness in sale, it is the scrum. And Coley and the likes of you know, Montoya are really going to target that area, I think. So we're going to see two very different semi-finals. Leicester going to sell. There's going to just be raining bombs. And I saw George Ford at the weekend. He's put a spiral bomb up. And... You felt sorry for all the Newcastle lads because none of them got anywhere near it. And then I think it was Roebuck just takes it cleanly out the air, scores a try. So uh, it's going to be bomb central. The undertones of George Ford against his old club, Manu Tuolangi, all that stuff. Uh, fuck it, I'm going Leicester. I'm a Leicester boy. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look at the USC semifinals then. Bit of a hard ask for both of the away teams, Connacht and Munster. Connacht going to the Stormers. I mean, we spoke to Andy Friend. Do we give them much of a chance? Uh, you have to off the back of ha- what, yeah. what they did up in Ulster. No one gave them a chance in Ulster, so you have to give them that respect and they have got the ability. Obviously, they're up against it with everything. You know, you mentioned the 18 hours on a flight, loads of the boys in the economy. You know, that is brutal without a shadow of a doubt. And that has a knock-on effect. I love the fact that he said, if you talk about it, you make it an issue. Let's not talk about it and not make it an issue. But tell the legs that on that heavy pitch. Pitch looks shocking. <sighs> It's a tough ask. I hope they do. I'd love them to win. As Jim said before, I'd love the Connacht story, you know, going over there to win. I just can't see it though. They've got to be loads better than they were against Ulster. They've got to be able to take their chances against the team away from home, not getting the rub of the green. Goody mentioned the pitch and stuff. They had loads of opportunities, loads of possession against Ulster. Didn't really convert. So everything's got to go right for them. Jack Carty made a few kind of errors as well against Ulster. Like he needs to be very accurate with boot. His kicking percentage hasn't been great. But speaking to Andy Friend, watching the way that he played, what an underdog story to finish seventh in the URC. Yeah. To go to Ulster, who finished second and beat them. Stormers, I mean, current champions. It's difficult to say or to see any way that they're going to win. But as I say, I didn't think they'd beat Ulster at the weekend and they did. So come on, Connor. And the big question in the other semi final is will Leinster roll out their top lineup? I don't think they will. I think they will. You think they'll go four noise? I think they will, yeah. They gave a load of them last week off. The quarterfinal, a few on the bench, bought them on. Well, you're right. They're, they're, yeah, they're not going to go two weeks in a row. Yeah, you're right. So if you look at last week, like you said, they're not going to go two weeks on the bench. I, I don't know how, you know, they could be too rusty. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think they go full noise. Uh, obviously, it's the monster factor as well. Massive rivals. And, you know, they need to be primed for the, the final the week after against La Rochelle. All the noises that will come out of Leinster this week won't be anything about the final against La Rochelle in Dublin next weekend. It will all be about this weekend's game against Munster. And, you know, you pay them the respect they deserve. Munster, a little bit handicapped now with some of the injuries they've got. But yeah, this Leinster team are just, I think they're too good. I cannot see how they lose the game at the Aviva Stadium. I can see how they lose to La Rochelle the weekend after, but I can't see how they lose to Munster. Right, then let's finish off with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, start off with the good. We're going to start off with Bath getting the last place in the Champions Cup next year. Tom Dunn got a hat-trick. They won their last four games of the season to sneak in dramatic fashion 
and push their nearest and dearest rivals, Bristol, out of the Champions Cup for next year. So shout out to Bath. Yeah, Munster get a shout out in the group this week for getting their victory in the quarterfinals up in Glasgow. Glasgow were flying, but Munster have gone there and dogged out a victory. Stormers get a shout-out in the good course. They do reigning champions, beating their rivals, the Bulls, who they beat in the final last year in the quarterfinal in Cape Town Stadium. But the good this week has to go to Connacht. Qualified late on for the top eight over the last few weeks of the season. Gone away to Ulster, a team that they've struggled against historically for 58 years. They've got a couple of wins there now, including this one the quarterfinal win. It meant so much to all of them. So massive shout out to the Connacht boys. You're going to get the good this week. Bad. Few bits of bad. Luke Cowan-Sicky. Yeah. Bad news for him. He's had his contract cancelled by all accounts by Montpellier on account of failing his medical on his neck. So you do feel for Luke Cowan-Sicky, but that is some bad news for him. Saracens get a mention of the bad this week, taking 60 points down at Bath. Who takes 60, Jim? I don't know. Not me. Well, you did. You did at Wasps. Well, Remember I, that, yeah, that I, time? I, 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 yeah, I don't. I think it was 50 odd, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Gloucester get a mention of the bad this week. They lost their last six league games of the season to end up second from bottom instead of challenging for the playoffs, which, Jim, I think you put them in the top four, didn't you? I did. I did. But the stats don't lie from what you can see. Load of injuries, load of excuses we can make. But if it was Harlequins, you'd be all over them. I would. So, I would. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Newcastle get a mention of the bad as well this week, taking 54 points at sale and finished bottom of the Premiership. There's no relegation. Apologies. They ain't bothered either. They they're not bothered. bothered. Like, they're, they're happy. Yeah. Like, they're happy to finish bottom. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Another bit of bad news was the head and neck injury to Johan Hussen, or Goosen. Pure accident of a collision, but he got stretched off, so I hope he's okay. But the bad this week goes to Ulster who did the hard work and finished second in the regular season, got the home quarterfinal, potentially a home semi-final as well, but they just didn't turn up against Connacht, got physically dominated, 18 penalties, and the breakdown was where it was lost. So unfortunately for Ulster, you get the bad this week. And then the ugly, a few bits of ugly. We're going to start off with Tom Jordan's red card for his reckless tackle on Connor Murray. I thought that was pretty bad. Chris Ashton gets a mention in the ugly this week, Jim, for his potential career-ending red card. For Leicester Tigers against Quinns. Who'd have thought that, eh? You said it a couple of weeks ago, didn't you, you horrible man? <laughs> oh, it's The writing was on the wall. Like, I don't want to be too harsh because he might be in tears, but you couldn't write it, but you kind of could because I did write it two or three weeks ago. It's like that. I think he might get off it. There was a bit of a dip. I hope he doesn't then get sent off again. Like <laughs> and Leicester win. So there's like, he lifts the medal and it's all kind of like, he's a cheeky so-and-so, cheeky so-and-so. Like the song comes back out. But I just saw it and I was like, well, I weren't surprised. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but the ugly this week goes to Axel Muller. who was sent off for a high tackle on Anthony Boutier for Breve against Montpellier. He has history in it. Absolutely shocking. And that's why... Axel Muller, great name, but you're getting the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got some shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, we do. A massive shout-out to Steve Kyle, who's president of Gillingham and Corians RFC, and to Richard Humphreys, who are embarking on a 400-mile charity bike ride in memory of Mark Humphreys, who sadly passed away from cancer last year. Mark played scrum off for the first team for many years and taught at nearby Howard School, was a devoted family man. All funds raised will be donated to a local supported living organisation where Mark's son, William, currently lives with some friends. Uh, William was born with learning difficulties and Mark dedicated 24 years caring for his every need. So if you can donate to Stephen Richard's appeal, you can find them on justgiving.com by searching Mark Humphrey's bike ride. 
and please give generously to that. Yeah, good luck, everyone. I've got another big shout out to Caroline Thompson and everyone doing the Westpac Chopper Ride. It's a bike ride from Queenstown to Invercargill, hell of a place, this Saturday, 250 kilometres. They're raising money for the Westpac Rescue Helicopter that saves lives. And also to Neil Kennedy, who's doing the West Island Way in Scotland. A challenge race, which is 96 miles, ultra marathon for the My Name's Doddy Foundation. I've done that before. I walked it. It took me about four weeks. So <laughs> good luck to everyone doing them challenges. And a massive shout out to Ryan Bate as well. He's playing in the Home Pub Tens tournament at Uckfield RFC. He unfortunately broke and dislocated his ankle very badly and won't be back to full recovery for up to two years after three operations. So wishing Ryan Bate all the best after that horrific injury. Yeah, good luck with that, Ryan. And a final shout out goes to Alex Clancy, an all action bat rower. He's currently undergoing chemotherapy in Crumlin Children's Hospital. Having been diagnosed with cancer following his cup campaign this year, Alex's teammates are going to be cycling the distance from Limerick to Crumlin, which is 400 kilometres on Wednesday during school hours in an effort to raise funds to support Alex and his family who have a long road ahead of them. So we're wishing Alex and all his family all the very best and good luck. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, Producer Rob. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.